Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geek Rant, episode 348, Tightwad Travel Tips, recorded February 10th, 2019, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are two stalwart co-hosts, Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson and Miles the Oxygenier Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the Faithful Opiates. We might be late, but we're here. And I hate Max. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's been a day of technical trials uh, so far, um, but... Uh, we're here. Uh, if you're watching on the YouTube video, there's a very good chance that uh, that's going to crap out any time now. But hopefully, the audio will keep going, and uh, and we'll see what happens. Um, but um, yeah, let's just go on with the show. Seth, you make coffee. Go. Yes. Well, I just you know like I my sales. I'm on pace to at the end of this week. I will have sold more this month than last month so i will have broken the hundred dollar barrier in total sales so that that's that's enough to spend five or six hundred dollars more on equipment isn't it right yeah i mean that's that's how businesses work is uh as long as you can outspend um your profits then you're ready to be an american company then hey and you know pay I mean, taxes yep Oh, man, that's going to – but, you know, here's the deal. I, I'm, I've got a loss going so far, so since it's like my first year, you know, it'll help out with the uh, new withholding tables that America's waking up to the fact are not fun to have. Seth, you're following the new business model of the United States, and that is you're expected to have a loss for 10 years before you sell the company to somebody else and get out with the bundle of cash. Dude, I mean, you know, but I'm I'm shooting not for ten. I want to do it in five. So, wow. I, I think the real, the true American model is the Amazon model, where you run a deficit forever and never make a profit, and still make billions of dollars, and then get divorced. Um, and then <laughs> you know, th- that's the way to do it. Or follow the Federal Reserve model and have a twenty-one trillion dollar deficit and never pay it off. But anyway, I digress. I, I, I like the Federal Reserve model. I could just start printing money out and be good. <laughs> so I'm listening to a, a new audio book right now. It's one of the great courses. Uh, and let me get the exact title because it's interesting. It's called, um, going to phone right now, Crashes and Crises, uh, Lessons from the, scrolling off the my screen. But Crashes and Crises uh, is, is good enough for you. And it's, uh, it's a series of lectures. Who, who are the great courses? I forget the university that, that does those. Uh, but anyway, it's, um, it's a series of lectures um, about just that, crashes and crises in the financial markets. Um, and it's been pretty interesting. Uh, I'm only a couple of chapters in, but it's talking about things like the uh, the great tulip bubble where tulip buds were going for $13,000, the equivalent of uh, back in the 1600s uh, in uh, Holland, I think it was. Um, and it's it's been pretty uh, pretty interesting, but you know, just on the um, – on the vein of what we were just talking about, the 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 ridiculousness of finance in general, um, one of the the uh, p- premises that this professor goes through it's it's a series of uh, course lectures, uh, and so it's a professor giving them. And one of the things he says is that um, 
crazy financial markets are the norm and the uh the relative stability that we've had in in the last you know 100 years or so is actually abnormal not even 100 years uh is abnormal and uh that you know when we talk about crazy market fluctuations and things like that that's actually the normal and we've just been spoiled by having abnormal uh levels of stability but I'm taking a page from the uh, millennials here and go, if it didn't happen in the last two years, it doesn't exist. So, you know, all of what you say is merely something out on the ether. Um, sure. I mean, yeah, all history begins the day we were personally born. That's that's true. I, that's what I've been led to believe. <laughs> Surely no one would lie to me. Um, well, what? One day I predict the term financial engineering will become an evil term that, you know, will live in infamy forever. Um, financial justice. If we got social justice, let's get financial justice out there. Trademark Element OP Productions, February 10th, 2019. <laughs> so, this sounds like a libertarian meetup. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so the... Uh, the, this is a financial February show, if we haven't mentioned that. We've been talking about financial sort of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, Miles wanted to do another uh, financial February show. Uh, Seth wanted to do another financial February show. Basically, everybody but me uh, wanted to do another financial February show. And I was like, fine, stop beating me up about it. We'll do the dang series. And so here we are. Uh, we're the second weekend of February, but our first recording in February because Super Bowl um, and clearly, uh, Tom Brady is more important than all of you. So we didn't record last week, uh, but here we are uh, doing our uh, third, fourth installment third, of Financial we, February. Third. Yeah, we didn't do one last year, but. Okay. Well, then that's just because we're terrible people, I guess. <laughs> yes. We, we forgot what clocks mean. Uh, and then, Miles, I know you had something in the notes, but that page isn't loading for me. So just uh, consider this your read-in. Well, I have I had an interesting thing after our last podcast. So, you know, we record on a Sunday. I go to bed on a Sunday night like we all do. I wake up in the morning in excruciating pain. And uh, what happened was I thought I broke my shoulder. Uh now, just a little bit of backstory. Uh, back in the 90s, I was involved in a very major car accident in which I pretty much lost most of this, the left side of my body. And they had to put it all back together again. It was pretty messy how they did it. Um, but anyway, uh, thankfully, I didn't lose the use of my hands, but my shoulder is just a mess. So anyway, I wake up in the morning and my shoulder's killing me. So I'm thinking, oh, no, you know what? It was 23 years ago when they did all this sort of stuff. Maybe it's worn out. I'm kind of, I'm kind of going to have to get this thing redone, fixed or whatever. Well, <laughs> fun fact, my medical insurance refuses to cover pre-existings, right? And I, don't, I can't afford the Obamacare thing because that's going to be like 1800 bucks a month. It's kind of ridiculous. So basically, I can't get it done here. So I thought, well, maybe I have to go back to Australia. Well, that's not going to happen because if you're not a taxpayer in Australia, you don't get no free medical care. So it's not actually kind of free. Anyway. Actually, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, if it's a government program and you're not paying into the government, you shouldn't get it. I'm okay with that. Right. 
Right. Um, so what do you do now? And, I, you know, I'm looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of major surgery here. This is not going to work. So I fall back to my final plan C. Mexico. At, you got it. <laughs> south of the border, buddy. So I thought, uh, okay, I reach out to a whole bunch of people in the expat community. Anybody know a good orthopod? <laughs> Anybody <laughs> know somebody who's not going to kill me? And uh, I discovered what the, the there's this um, movement going on in central Mexico, particularly in Guadalajara, where all these hospitals sort of band together and they've created this medical utopia and they have all the best laser and MRIs and all the technology which you'd pay big bucks for up here and you go down there and it's like 25 cents on the dollar and you look at the qualifications of all the surgeons and they're guys from Germany and they're guys from Japan and they're, they're guys from America. Uh, from the United States because they go down there and they're not subject to all these taxes and regulatory oversights and all this stuff that – and all this insurance companies and lawyers and all that stuff for like a quarter of the price. So, anyway, I haven't done anything yet. Thankfully, the pain subsided a bit and it wasn't as bad as I expected, but my quest of discovery has unveiled a utopia of medicine south of the border and uh, I'll report back as soon as I get put under the knife. But Miles, I watched a show on network television where somebody went south of the border and didn't do their homework and took some elective surgery and it killed them. So therefore, every place in Mexico is bad. You should stay away. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, that's true. And, you know, uh, it's funny, funny story. I had the same thing happen to me in Los Angeles. Not to me, but to a friend of mine. Um, and that was in a supposed modern, you know, first world medical facility. So, mm, not sure I'm buying that. But anyway. I, I, just on a side note, uh, not to get overly political, but in the uh, president's State of the Union address, he specifically mentioned uh, doing away with uh, pre-existing conditions, uh, which maybe I maybe haven't been paying attention, but that's the first time I've ever heard a president say that's going to be a pillar of his administration is to make insurance companies cover people. Well, you would hope, wouldn't you? <clears throat> that but way it's they can also be justify. an affordable plan. Yeah, they can justify charging more then because if they can't disqualify for pre-existing conditions, then therefore they have to charge more money. And since they were going to charge more money anyway, they can just, you know, justify it now. So, I mean, insurance is like the best business to be in. It's the only business I know where the whole business, the whole purpose of the business is to take money in and never pay any out. Um, it's a it's a great deal. Honestly, if you're an insurer, because uh, people pay you premiums and then you have the right to not pay out, just not, um, you know, if, if you have insurance on your home and a pipe bursts, they can call that flood insurance because water. And if you didn't take flood insurance because you don't live in a flood pain plains, for example, you live in Arizona, they'll say, oh, well, that's that's water damage. That's a flood. Um, it's amazing. Uh, health insurance is the same way. The very first thing they do. I mean, I have a little inside um, experience with this sort of thing, but mostly just from having a family. Like the very first thing is deny all claims. 
and a certain percentage of people just won't stop won't won't even go past that they'll they'll say okay well it's denied um and so it's just an amazing industry to be in um i want to be that uh, you know i just got to find uh, insurance is obviously gone i need to find another business that solely exists for the purpose of taking money in and never paying anything out never giving any oh, service I, of any kind i found one i found one Check. Well, they have to give some service, but check this out. This was really interesting. When I was uh, trying to court a surgeon down in Mexico, they want to see x-rays and scans and MRIs and all that sort of thing. So I thought, well, I'll try and get that <clears throat> get that done here, uh, thinking 3500 bucks for an MRI. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, at least that's what the hospitals would charge, you know, 35000 4000 something like that. Um. I went on the internet and I just typed up, you know, medical imaging services and private companies that do this. And I found a mob called Green Imaging. Apparently, they're nationwide and you can go to them direct. You don't even need a script. You just go in there, you can pay cash. And they're out of Houston. So I contacted the head office and I said, listen, give me a quote for an MRI because I'm probably going to have to get this thing to shoot this stuff down south. And the lady gets back to me like a day later. She goes, oh, yeah, we've got six facilities in Arizona, so thinking, great, I can find somewhere local. Um, how much? And I'm, you know, bracing for the price, 430 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you're kidding me. These freaking hospitals are marking this up 10 times? Mm-hmm. Is that the standard business practice there? Yes. Sure. Yes, it is. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, the same thing for lab results, you know, blood work, that sort of stuff. Uh, anything that is housed in a hospital is going to be an order of magnitude more expensive just because, you know, they've got uh, like, uh, you know, people who are admitted in the hospital, they can't go anywhere else. They have a captive audience, so they can charge what they want. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And don't ever say you have insurance because it's cheaper if you just say, you know, if I don't file this on my insurance and I just pay cash, how much will that be? And it will always be cheaper than the deductible for the insurance. Yeah, but medication is the only place in the world uh, where you have to have the service before you find out how much it costs. If I went to my mechanic and he said, yeah, just bring your car in. We'll keep it for three three or four days. Uh, We'll let you know how much it costs when we're done. Uh, I mean, that nobody would ever do that. But in the hospital, that's exactly what happens. Or not, not, not even the hospital, just doctor's office, right? You might know your copay or whatever, your, your co-insurance, but um, you, you can't get a price list. Um, it's a whole industry built around uh, mystery. Unless you go south, that's when they'll give you the price before you go there. Like, for example, um, I was checking on the price of a, uh, a hip replacement. Hip replacements, on average, from a medical facility in the United States, charge, oh, I don't know, 40, 48000 something like that, for the whole thing, end to end. Um, same thing down there, four grand cash out the door. And when you look at the the procedure and the same equipment and the same, uh, you know what they're what they're using in there, the ceramics or whatever that's I'm not an expert, but anyway, it's it's the same thing, exactly the same thing. And yeah. how can you be a tenth? Well, just none of that pesky medical oversight and uh, malpractice uh, liability, none of that stuff. Uh, Free that, market, baby. <laughs> You know what? Yelp reviews mean a lot to those guys because mm-hmm. they ain't going to get the next customer down the down there if they don't have a good reviews. 
All right, so that's not what this show is about. This show is about Miles uh, giving us a tour. He is he has opened the kimono a little bit in the past about traveling on the cheap or free, uh, the way he likes to do things. Uh, but today he is going to lay it all out for you and explain to us uh, how we can travel on somebody else's dime. But before we start that, Miles, I, you were reluctant to sort of go public about this in the past so tell me tell me why you were reluctant and why you've changed your mind before we start the banks don't really want the truth out um that's very conspiracy theory it is but it's true the reason why i'm willing to do it now is because there's a lot of people on youtube that have got you know travel hacking or credit card points shows and whatever they've been doing it for a long time initially they were not hitting the real important stuff they seem to be now um i'm thinking if the banks have been watching any youtube videos they're aware that we the public are already on you know onto this and yet they're still offering the same services so i'm feeling i won't give you all of the details i'll give you the white and gray hacker versions of it um, but yeah, it, it's, it can be told. All right. So basically you, you think that the men in the black hats are no longer follow, following you? Uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> oh, they still are. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. They're parked out the front right now. <laughs> Just because you think everyone's out to get you doesn't mean you're crazy. So. All right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, this is something I posed to miles, uh, I think it was on the air, maybe not have been on the air, uh, but we had a hypothetical sort of thought experiment of how can I take my family of five to Australia and, you know, fly in, in business class or above so that a, a, a fat, tall guy um, would not be miserable for a 14-hour flight. And uh, it was it was a little bit like talking to a trained attack dog and saying sick him because he just went nuts and started sending me emails and and things uh so i'm excited to hear um what he's going to tell you uh tonight about how to travel uh on the cheap so ready one two three go this is for united states residents first so if you're not in the u.s uh, a lot of this won't have a great deal of applicability there may be versions in your country that works, but I, I'm not an expert on it, so I can't talk to that. Um, so here's the here's the bottom line. You can travel for free anywhere in the world, as much as you want, if you know how to play the game. And you can do it perpetually, and you can do it for you and your family and your grandmother and your f- best friend. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's open to all comers. And I'm not talking about them having to do travel hacking. You can travel. Stay in hotels completely for free. And I'm not talking the cheesy Motel 6. I'm talking the Sheratons, the Four Seasons, the Hyatts, top-end hotels, free of charge. And you can probably fly first class or business class if you scale this up and amp this up enough. Uh, And I'm talking long trips, like long-haul flights first class to Abu Dhabi, to Australia, to London, to wherever you want to go. It just depends on how prepared you are to do it. 
So I've done this for the last five years. I have never bought an airline ticket for me, for my family, for my mother-in-law, for my sister-in-law. They've all had free flights. Never paid a dime. The only thing we pay is possibly um, airport taxes and fuel surcharges, but there's even ways to get that down to something something really low. So maybe 20 bucks, something like that. And I travel a lot. I mean, I will make at least five to eight international flights a year. And in summer here in Arizona, I get out of Dodge because it's too hot. And I'll go to the Southern Hemisphere. I'll go to Mexico. I'll go to Europe just to get out. Uh, and that might take two, three months. And again, me, the family, the kid, free of charge. So how do you do it? So everyone knows about frequent flyer points that you get with credit cards, right? So you guys you guys have got credit cards, right? You uh-huh. probably get points. I don't have any point. Well, actually, I, I do get points on one of my cards, but it's exchangeable for like gift cards and stuff. It's nothing... Like okay. that. So, uh, yeah, this is – talk to me like I'm an idiot because I don't know anything. Yeah. All right. Like I use – I get a cashback one. That's what I do. Okay. So, credit cards the, – the banks with credit cards are under a really nice deal here. The credit cards can charge interest from 15 to 27%. There's really no, no restriction. The banks can go nuts on that. And when you buy something on a credit card, the merchant who sells you something is paying 2 to 3%. Which is uh, why they're always to, trying to get you to say it's a debit card at the pump. Right. Yeah. Right. They will use whatever techniques that they can to try to get that down. They might not accept American Express because it takes a higher percentage and they prefer cash, but they probably don't want to be dealing with physical transactions. So anyway, the, every time you buy something – Cha-ching, the bank makes money. Every time you uh, have a balance on that card that exceeds over the end of the statement period, cha-ching, the bank makes money. And they make a lot of money. If you think about this as a product to them as compared to the mortgage, mortgage 5%, credit card 25%, what do you, you know, obviously, which one are they going to go with, right? So there's a lot of cushion on the banks. The banks know that the average person who has a credit card keeps a balance and maintains a consistent amount of interest payments back to them. And they also realize that people go up to the limit on cards. And travel hacking is not for somebody who does that. The The one thing I'll say, and look, you know, I, I should put the, this is not financial advice waiver and all that stuff, but the reality is if you have credit cards and you don't pay them off every month, This is not for you. You need to be somebody who is laser-focused on your financial non-debt position. You need to be somebody who has, you know, money in the bank, money savings, that sort of thing. Just at least the mentality of that, because when you go and get a credit card, you're doing a deal with the devil, and that devil will come back and bite you if you don't respect that credit card like you were it's a it's a lion and you're a lion tamer because that's how you got to play this game now having said that let's say you are that person we all know what a fico score is right it's 
you guys know what a FICO uh, score is? The non-Americans among us might not know. Uh, but I, yeah, it's a, it's a credit rating that uh, uh, the independent bureaus gather your metrics and wave a wand and come up with a number. And the higher the number, the better your score. The, right. the, the more trustworthy you are as a person. And it's a racket. The reason why it's a racket is that the people who actually assign the FICO score are the banks themselves. So what the FICO score really says is how attractive are you to a bank so they can extort money from you. <laughs> the higher your score, the more likely they're going to offer you credit card offers in the mail and all this sort of special stuff. And if you're late on a payment and a, you drop the FICO score, they're not going to like you so much and interest rates go up and they won't extend interest and so on. So to do credit card hacking, to get all these free trips – you want to have a FICO score of about 650 or above. It can't really play this game underneath that. But what's interesting about it is that once you start playing the credit card game to get points, you're going to see your FICO score go through the roof because all of a sudden you're going to be a, um, a willing participant in the bank's lion taming game <laughs> in that you've got extended credit to you and you're not using it and that's a good thing to a bank is that you become a prospect for the future and they'll stick your FICO score up because they want you to take on more debt. Yeah, they want you juggling the balls in the air because they know eventually you're going to drop them. Right. Um, and so they will they will give you quote-unquote benefits over time. They will um, court you. In the same way that, you know, uh, a spider will bait his web. Uh, they will make you uh, as many offers as possible because they know that the numbers are on their side. Uh, even the most disciplined people eventually drop one of the balls they're juggling. And that's when they yeah, get you. They do. And it's hard to recover from that. They'll offer you things to try to keep you in the credit game. Like we'll do a balance transfer from one card to another and give you a break on the interest. That's just delaying the inevitable right at the end of the day what you put on that card you better pay off so how about this scenario if you know those are the rules and you know you got to play within those rules everybody has like a monthly regular expense budget personal if you're a business you probably have a much higher amount of that but if you know that you're going to be paying the rent and you're going to be paying the mortgages every month and you're going to make car payment maybe or maybe hopefully you don't you're going to buy food you're going to buy clothing you're going to pay for your internet you're going to pay for your phone if you can divert all of those payments to a credit card and then pay those credit cards off instantly as if it was money you would write a check but now you're actually going to do it you're going to use the bank as kind of an intermediary in this thing then what you're doing is you're generating points now Point, let's talk a little bit about points. Every credit card has an ability in some fashion to give you some sort of a kickback. Some of them give you a percentage cash back. I don't like those. Others give you frequent flyer points or what they call reward points in their own program. And there are players that are really, really good because their points are worth a lot. And there are two big ones. Chase Ultimate Rewards Points and American Express Membership Rewards Points. So what you've got to do is you've got to get cards that fall into those, 
those providers. When you take on a new credit card, say Chase, for example, they will probably offer you an incentive by way of a big bonus of points into your stash, like 50000 And it won't cost you anything necessarily to get the card immediately other than just to fill out a form on the internet, click submit, and the card arrives in the mail a week later. But you get 50,000 points. So there's usually a catch with it, though. And they say you've got to have a minimum spend of, I don't know, $3,000, something like that. So if you were to look at how much money you're paying your mortgage, how much money you're paying your rent, you're probably able to meet that minimum spend in the 90 days they give you to do it, right? There are services out there that will pay the credit card company, uh, sorry, pay your mortgage company or your landlord or whoever with a check uh, and charge it to your credit card. Uh, one of the big players is a company called Plastique, P-L-A-S-T-I-Q, Dot com, And for certain cards, they will allow you to pay those types of expenses on your credit card. So you want to pay your next month's mortgage. I don't know. Let's say hypothetically it's $3,000. That's a big mortgage. But well, let's say mortgage. two months. Let's say two months. And you go to Plastique and you say, send $1,500 on this day and $1,500 on that day. And here's my credit card. Charge my card. So they do that. 10 days later, the check will go out and pay the bill and you've just met your minimum spend. So the money that you would normally write your own check to and send it to your mortgage company or your landlord, you send it to your credit card to pay the credit card down. Is Plastique charging a fee for that service? Yes, it's about 2%. But consider that the 2%, now they often run promotions where they do fee free. So you keep your eye on that. Just but, a quick disclaimer, we we are not endorsed by or given money by any of these people that Miles mentions at any point here. Uh, these right. are just services he's aware of. Exactly. So what happens is if you're willing to take on that little, let's say they're not offering a free service, but you're paying the 2%. If you're willing to pay 2% more, you can get them to pay the bank and the landlord and whatever, and you get the points back on your card. And so... At that point, you get 50,000 membership reward points or Chase Ultimate reward points or whatever. What does 50,000 give you? Well, I just priced tickets to uh, Mexico City uh, for my family, and I'm looking at about 25,000 points return per person on economy. So I can get two tickets returned to Mexico City for that. I could probably... If you know how the travel game works, get to Paris and back within 50000 So it's just a matter of knowing which airlines have promotions and when they do it and how to play this game. And all of a sudden, what you do is you start building up. But that's one credit card. What if you would go get 10? Now, there are certain restrictions that certain credit card companies have. So... The biggest one is what Chase have, and that's called the 524 rule. It means you can't have more than five cards in 24 months. But Chase don't have enough cards to be able to meet that limit. So what you do is your first thing you do is you go out and get all your Chase cards, and then you focus on everybody else. 
and you'll carry 10, 12, 15 cards. Each one comes with the big membership rewards bonus up front and you start banking it. And little by little, you start seeing 300,000 points, 500,000 points, 750,000 points, and they're building up all the time. On top of that, if you have friends that are you think are not going to go and bankrupt themselves with this you know, lion taming experience, you can do referrals and you'll get a bunch of points back for referring your friends as well. And it might be five to 10,000 points per referral. But the biggest one, the one I like the most, is what we call organic spend. And that is when you start looking at all of the expenditure that you do and you route it through the cards, but you use a little trick called bonus categories. Now, this one you're going to, I'm not going to give you the secrets. I'm going to give you research you can use yourself. There are certain bonus categories on certain cards that yield massive returns. Okay, I'll give you one example. American Express have a gold card, gold, American Express gold, whatever it is. It gives you four times points at any supermarket. So if you go and buy your groceries from Kroger's or whoever, and you go down there and you're going to spend a couple of hundred dollars on groceries for the family – and you use that card as opposed to paying cash or a debit card or whatever, and that let's say two fifty, that purchase is worth a thousand points. Now, how often do you do it? If you did that twelve times a year, you've got twelve thousand points on that one card, and all you got to do is make sure that you pay that card off immediately for the amount that you charge to it. If you can be disciplined at doing that, and there are lots of technologies and tools that you can use to do it, you will amass mega amounts of points that can be used. Now, one other little trick that I'll that I'll throw in here, and then I'll you know you guys can ask questions or whatever. There is a particular Chase card out there called a Chase Sapphire Reserve card right now. If you get it, it's a personal card. You're in a business. It's got a $450 a year annual fee, but they give you $300 back as a travel credit. They also give you free like TSA pre-check, which is normally 85 bucks. And there's a bunch of other perks that you can get, like they'll pay your car rental insurance if you rent a car. Um, so baggage uh, delay, flight delay insurance, baggage loss insurance, it all comes with the card. The right way that reason why that card's really important is that you can put all of your Chase Ultimate Rewards points you get on that card and any others and transfer them into the the fund associated with that card. And Chase have a portal where they will buy your travel tickets directly from any airline, any hotel or whatever, and you use your points to pay for it. And there's no problem. And they give you back 30% as a sort of a kickback when you do that. Now, I thought maybe their pricing is like, you know, ridiculously out of control. It's not going to work. Not at all. I can fly to Australia for 63,000 points on economy return using that technique. 63,000 for one person return to Australia. That's from Phoenix to Sydney and back. 
that's amazingly cheap. I went to try and buy that ticket. It's 2000 bucks. Or I went to go and find points and use it directly with airline transfer partners. And it's anything between eighty and one hundred and twenty thousand. But if you use this technique, it's sixty, and you get back thirty percent of what you spent. So, get back is, in what way? They they kind of statement credit you back, but it, it not to your statement in dollar terms, but to your points balance. So in the end you actually end up paying very, very little by using this technique, transferring points through it, and knowing what... And then you get your choice of airlines. Like, for example, on that route, Virgin Australia have the widest seat. I just happen to know that. Um, I can also fly direct to Melbourne with Virgin Australia. I can't do that with United. So once you start learning all these tricks and techniques... This stuff becomes kind of addictive because all of a sudden you can do this perpetually. <laughs> I mean, you can never stop traveling here because if you've got the organic spend generating points and you've got this immediate big balance coming in with the original rewards points bonuses, even after you start using those points up, when you get back home and you just go back to work and you live your normal life, in the background, your points go back up, 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 and you hit that point where you were again. Do points typically have an expiration date on them? It depends on which points. Chase Ultimate Rewards points do not. They never expire. The same is true of American uh, Express Membership Rewards points. Um, other points, points when you transfer them to an airline partner, you typically start the clock on those. But if you don't ever transfer them out of the banking points, they never expire. Oh, and here's one other thing too. You, you points are, taxed, uh, are not taxed. You earn points, but you don't pay interest tax. Uh, you don't can't pay income tax on that. There are some exceptions, so talk to your CPA about that stuff. But for the most part, points are not taxable. And so they're kind of like a currency, they're like a denomination that have spending power and they don't expire and they don't get taxed. So any business leader out there who's looking at this and isn't taking advantage of points and rerouting their you know, inventory purchases and their, their supplier purchases or whatever through credit cards where they can are uh, leaving money on the table here, big money. Seth, what are your thoughts? Man, I need to, uh, I need to get my uh, last credit card paid off so I can start doing this. But I, I don't know. I have one I use, but I, I'm just, I don't. Oh, I, I get in a rut and I stay there, and I'm too boring to like travel, and I don't have the income coming in to pay for my traveling. If I go, I don't make money. So I'm not quite as well off as miles, but maybe I need to start amassing some points so I can uh, be ready to go when I get there. You have any comments on that miles? Well, if you have a vacation, you have that two week vacation period and you can prepare for that right. and you're going to pick a time when it's convenient ahead of time and you've built up this points balance, then you can use that two weeks Go and see your brother in Hawaii. 
go go and go to the Danube or something. Um, go and visit the Giza pyramids. Whatever. Yeah, I need I need to do something. I I am going to, and especially as I do more and more stuff for my coffee um, business, I can. I mean, I guess I'm going to have to get a card and a bank account. And oh man, this being an adult is hard. I don't want to adult anymore. So, <laughs> all right. So no, I, go ahead. I, I'm just going to tell you what I heard during all of this. So, so Miles laid out a a cogent and intelligent plan. But all I heard was, come juggle the snakes. It's fun. It's fine. <laughs> we, we have medical staff on hand if you need it. Come into the water. It's fine. No. Everything you just described to me, um, I heard the word risk and I heard the word um, uh, disaster almost every time you opened your mouth. Um, and, you know, you prefaced it appropriately. This You have to be... Um, financially disciplined discipline is the key word here and i think you used it about five times discipline is the key here um i just i don't like to play with other people's money and and that's what you're doing when you're borrowing like that like that and you know my general sort of rule of thumb uh is anytime a company wants me to do something it's not in my best interest to do that thing just across the board, that's just sort of a general principle to live by. When you go to uh, the Home Depot and you buy a, a buzz saw, and they say, "Would you like the two-year uh, warranty on this?" Generally, that's not a good thing. If somebody wants you to do it, if a business wants you to do it, it's usually not in your best interest to do it, uh, th- and that's just generally true. So, if Chase wants me to uh, use their card as a pass-through device so that I can gather these rewards. And they're incentivizing me to the point of, of you know, paying for me to fly and to live a high-roller life that I don't really live. For me, I see that as that's a bad thing. You know, that, that is, uh, you know, it's just danger, Will Robinson. So while this is an interesting academic exercise, um, it's just not something that I think I want to play with. And, and part of that is just because I recognize in me that I am an addictive personality. There are certain things that I simply cannot do because once I start them, I know I will not be able to stop them. Um, and this is the kind of thing you even use that word. It's addictive. I can mm-hmm. see this being the sort of thing, the game that I would play. And I would be so caught up in the game that I would like, ah, you know, maybe this month I just won't pay off that card because I can do X, right? And, and it would be a death by a thousand cuts for me. Um, and, and this because in my past, I came from a time when I owed over two years salary in credit card debt at one point in my life, it would have taken me two years salary to pay off just my consumer credit card debt. So when my wife and I went out and had a steak dinner, I paid on that steak dinner for 18 years. It was that kind of thing, you know? Um, and so I clawed my way out of there. I don't want to go back. So I'm just going to offer some counterpoint while Miles offers this interesting and challenging experiment. Uh, if you're like me, run away. Run very far away. Uh, Rick in the chat room said that he and his uh, wife do this and they've, uh, they take cruises. Um, so, and, and obviously thousands of people are doing it. If you just do a Google search, you'll find blogs and podcasts. This is a thing. This is a way of life for people. So uh, perhaps I'm in the minority. Um, but I just want to offer some counterpoint here to say this is for disciplined people um, who can truly 
manage the game, uh, and even they know that they're playing with snakes. That's a good overview. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to refute it because I think you're absolutely right. Um, I kind of look at this from a meta point of view. I This is going to sound so grandiose, but I think it puts some context in it. The problem is we're in a society for the last, I don't know, 50 years maybe that has preconditioned us to be slaves to banks. And it's gotten worse with student loan debt. So 18-year-olds are signing mortgages on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. They don't realize what it takes to pay that off. Um, That's become the norm. And mortgages that no one ever ends up paying off, they don't, you know, they extend it into 30-year, 50-year death contracts. That's what mortgage translates to. Um, This is a setup by the banks to try to enslave us to constantly pay back the banks. And it's a a social norm which follows through to federal government behavior. They're doing the same thing. They've got so much debt that they're in bed with the banks. So here's the problem. If you don't want to be in bed with the banks, good luck living in the first world because you can't get a house unless you've got cash to buy one. And I don't know too many people who can amass that sort of money when they need it. The other problem is that the banks the banks exist with all the people you trade with. So your merchants are paying the banks. And at the end of the day, We're doing a deal with the devil, and we have no choice in the matter. Everything is about the banks. When you start realizing that, if you're a bit of a hacker, you start realizing, well, if I've got to use Windows, Linux, Mac, whatever, I'm going to learn how this thing works so that I control it and it doesn't control me. I treat the banks like that. I want to learn how they work on the inside and I want to know how to control them to my advantage and not become a slave to them in theirs. And you see all the psychological tricks and you see the spin and you see the, but, but, but this is a world. This is why the Rockefellers and, you know, these big money people exist because they own the money, which is the blood that supplies our world. I don't think with banks you can ever avoid them and live a reasonable life in the first world anymore. So my challenge is if I know that, then what are their tricks and how do I play them at their own game? How do I beat them at their own game here? And this is one way. And and at the end of the day, I'm an outlier, and thank God I am, because that's why they continue to offer these programs. If everybody was thinking like me, they'd they'd shut this stuff down immediately because they wouldn't be making any money. And I'm sure their numbers, the reason they're not shutting this down is they they know that most people try and fail and become slaves to the machine. And so they don't mind that a few get away. And and actually, it's it's like the consumer that goes to Vegas and hits it big 
that's the best advertisement for Vegas. Oh, I went and won a hundred thousand dollars at the slot machine because for most people, they're going to go and say, well, if, if they can do it, I can do it. And they're going to go and end up losing their shirt. And, you know, so yeah, they lost money. You know, it, it there, it's the ultimate con game. So, Oh, look, you won the first round. Let's go double or nothing. And then the next <laughs> thing exactly. you know, the next thing you know, you're like, wait a minute, what happened to my shirt? And, uh, so, yeah. but if you know how to walk away, then you can certainly win. Yep. But what if you knew how the how the casino business model worked? What if you knew how the code in that slot machine worked? What if you knew where its vulnerabilities were? And what if you knew that going in there and you can take advantage of that is legal and is reasonable and sure they're going to kick you out because you're taking money out of their coffers, but that's the game we play because they're offering a 50-50 chance. Either the casino loses or you lose. When the casino starts losing, they don't like that game anymore, and out you go. Right. But if you walk in and you know how the game's played, that's the thing. Yeah. Credit Miles cards is no a card different. counter. Yeah. Yeah. But even before that, I, I'm looking at what exactly is the spirit of this game, what is exactly is the rationale, and how does this work? And I'm willing to spend the time to analyze it and study it. And I'm not alone. There are people out there in this community, in the travel hacking community, I've met there are uh, there's a group out there called FTU or Frequent Travel University. Uh, they do courses on these things. They do uh, like expos, seminar type things, and they're amazingly good. Um, and you start realizing that you're one of thousands of people out there that are that are in the that, that are hackers of the travel world. And are we bad? We're not. We're not the bank's favorite. But at the same time, they put the rules out there. You know, I'll play the game. I, If you tell me that there's a 50-50 chance I'm a winner or a loser, I'm going to set it up so I'm a winner. I'm sorry. That's just me. Right. So, I thank you, Miles. Uh, I, that's a good uh, view, window into your world. And, and nobody can argue that, uh, you're getting results. I mean, you, you, you're a traveler, you're a, you do all this stuff, uh, on the cheap, uh, but there's work, you know, uh, there, there is a price to be paid. You, your price is, you know, juggling the credit cards and, and, and knowing the services and, and digging things out. Um, you know, some people, the price is, you know, 2000 bucks for a flight to Australia. Your price is, eternal vigilance um and you know there's a price to be paid either way uh but so that's one of the things i also wanted to point out you're not getting something for nothing this is work this is effort yeah you spend what how many hours a year do you amass in the machinery of traveling of building the points yeah of just doing all the stuff that you need to do um well, I do a lot of running around and buying things and using techniques and so on. Um, I would, yeah, I would probably in a month, I'd probably put 10 hours a month into this. Yeah. But so, I enjoy it. So it's not really work. Yeah. And the running around there is, you know, he's literally talking about going from store to store to spend the minimum on a credit card for yeah. that given month. You know? Yeah. But I, I mean, look, I, that's me. I, uh, yesterday, the uh, <laughs> true story, I get an email from Harbor Freight Tools. Okay, love Harbor Freight Tools. And a, a few weeks ago, I broke a digital multimeter. It just died. 
So I need to get another one. But it's been on my, you know, I'll get around to it one of these days. And, and I'm, I'm a tight one. I don't like spending money. I get this email from Harbour Freight Tools and they say, if you buy anything from us today, free digital multimeter. I'm like, are you kidding me? Free? Yeah, I'm the guy who drove 20 miles to go to the Harbour Freight Tools and bought 49 cents worth of cable ties to get a free digital multimeter. Now, that's me. <laughs> I love this stuff. He spent six bucks in gas to buy a five to get a free $5 multimeter. Well, it was a $20 multimeter, but yeah, but that's the, that's the point. But I, I, it's a game. I right. love this stuff. I mean, you described a couple of weeks ago being in the McDonald's parking lot ordering a Whopper yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to beat the system when it would have been a whole lot easier just to pay five bucks for the Whopper. Yeah, but I got two Whoppers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I really just have one question left after all this discussion. And that's, Seth, what happened this week in history? Well, Mark, I wanted to let you and the fine OPI nation know that on February the 12th, 1877, long-distance phone calling was unveiled. Alexander Graham Bell makes the first long-distance phone call between Boston and Salem, Massachusetts, however you say it. I never could pronounce mm-hmm. that state. And as far as we know, there were no mention of witches during the phone call, but there are no transcripts to prove that. Anyway, that happened this week in history, and now, Mark, back to you. So I'm not a... Uh a uh, student of my Massachusetts. How, what's the distance between Boston and, and Salem? Anybody got any ideas? hundred ish miles, you know? Mm, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Let's, let's just say it's a hundred miles. I don't even know. Cause I mean, you can drive across the state of Massachusetts in a couple of hours, so it, it can't have been too far. Um, and their definition of long distance was two major cities within the same state. Um, my, how things have changed. When now we, we can make phone calls to space if we wanted to. NASA does it every day. But it cool had stuff. to start somewhere. Yeah. And it's only uh, 25 miles by the curve of the road. So it's not, it's part of the same urban system. But of course, oh, back okay. then, it wouldn't have been. But still. Yeah, that's a half a day's ride. Yeah. yeah. If, if you grew up in a small county like I did, you know, there were, it costs long, it was a long distance call to call somebody five miles away from your house. And if you live just right, the person next door could be a long distance phone yeah. call. So, and yeah, the kids today, they don't know what long distance is. But yeah, there was a time when I could walk to my neighbor's house, um, you know, in 10 minutes, but it was a long distance call because they were on a different cell uh, phone carrier. And therefore, um, satellites had to link up in space or something. I'm not exactly sure why. And it was roughly $93 a minute to call that person. Um, Back in the day. <laughs> and I mean, I'm old enough to remember people sitting out in their cards on their bag phones um, because it was free night and weekend calling. So you had to go outside and sit in the car in 30 degree winter um, to make a call. That's the kind of travel hacking we did back then. It was all about, you know, my girlfriend lives in another city, and so I have to go sit out in the car to make a make a call. Um, kids today, they don't know how easy they've got it with the whole interweb thing. And how yep. many phone numbers do people memorize today? Zero. No. <laughs> right. I don't know my own home phone number. I, I don't know my own home phone number. I don't know my office phone number. Both of those things are things I have to look up every time. I have surrendered my higher brain functions to Google. 
Yeah, I, I I know my mom's cousin's phone number, who's our next door neighbor. I remember my mom's work phone number from when I was young. But yeah, I don't know the number where I work. It took me like probably two years to memorize my cell phone number. Um, yeah, man, those pesky kids. Yeah, the only number I know is there's a five times point bonus on telephone bill paying <laughs> on certain credit cards. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and I can tell you the time at which I mean, Seth, you you just said it. You know, your your mom, your aunt. I can tell you the last number I memorized was my wife's cell phone number in 1994. I, I have that number memorized. Every number thereafter, once I got a cell phone with the ability to store numbers, I stopped remembering them. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's it for this rather odd discussion about phone numbers. Uh, Seth, what do you have this week to uh, close the show in style? All right. Well, you may or may not remember a little while ago, Elon Musk launched his uh, Tesla Roadster into space. So you can go to www.whereisroadster.com and it will tell you the current location, how far it's been and stuff like that. So if, if you've always wanted to know, I wonder where that Roadster is now, you can like go to this website. It's not affiliated with um, Elon Musk or Tesla or anything. It's just some some geek with a little too much time on his hands decided to buy this URL and keep track of this stuff and update us all. Currently, <laughs> it is 22,800, uh, uh, 226,870, 226 million. I, it keeps adding zeros as I, <laughs> it, it started out as loading. All right. 226,871,140 miles. That's 365,113,828 kilometers or 2.44 AU from Earth, moving away from Earth at a speed of 3,708 miles an hour. That's uh, 5,967 kilometers per hour or 1.66 kilometers per second. wonder what the fuel efficiency on that is. Uh, it, it breaks it down in here. Uh, it has achieved a fuel economy of 3,796 miles per gallon, um, assuming... Uh, 126,000 gallons of fuel. Yeah. So, because yeah, once you break the gravity well, you know it's all it's all gravy from there. So really, you know, it's the first 20 miles are the hardest, right? And you you guys give me a hard time to drive over the Harbor Freight tolls for a free millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Harbor Freight exactly 4.3 miles from my house, and that is probably the most dangerous thing about this current location <laughs> where i've moved uh, i mean there could be a drug den next door and that would be less dangerous to me than the harbor freight 4.3 miles away <laughs> all right this is the part of the show where i tell you how you can feed back to us you go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the very old web page i really i need somebody i need a charity case i need somebody to rebuild my website for me and and just make it you know in the 20 teens you know it doesn't have to be modern just just less crappy than it is that would be awesome i'm not going to pay you for it it's got to be a labor of love um that's the problem i'm unlovable uh so anyway go to the go to elementop.com click the contact us button at the top of the page answer the world's hardest captcha with questions like what plant grows in a cornfield um then uh, fill out the form there uh, and click the send button, and that uh, will come to my in-basket where it gets priority over all my other stuff. I will read your stuff before I read the Harbor Freight ads. 
I really will. Uh, or if you want to skip the rigmarole and just send an email directly, you can send to element op, uh, geekrant at elementop.com. Or you can dial 559-IAM-OP and leave us a voicemail. The last voicemail we got was somebody saying, yeah, this still works. So uh, we haven't had one of those in a while. Um, or you can do like Jinda and Rick have done and join us each week as we record Round about 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, uh, you can go to elementopi.com slash live and uh, watch the show live. I don't know why you'd want to watch my face. Uh, I have the perfect face for radio, but uh, you could do that. But uh, the real uh, value there is joining in the chat room and being part of the discussion and doing my job for me. Uh, researching facts and uh, tracking down links uh, while I'm doing the show. Thank you, Rick. That, uh, that was awesome. Um, but uh, we like to hear from you. We like to uh, do life with you. So tell us, know, let us know what's going on in your mind. Elementopi.com. Uh, we like we like to hear from you. That's all there is to it. If you have suggestions, you have comments. Uh, also, you know, the awesome thing you could do is is tell other people about us. Um, leave us a rating and review on wherever you get your podcasts uh, from, uh, iTunes or whatever it is. Uh, or, uh, you know, the best way, the absolute best way to support us is go to patreon.com slash elementop and throw money at us. We like money. I like money. Um, you do that and uh, we would be eternally grateful. So that's all I have to say about that. Miles, Seth, any final words of wisdom before we say goodnight? I got nothing. Nope. All right, there you go. Sage wisdom from your Star Wars co-hosts. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We'll see you next week. That's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. And remember, pay for what you like.